So our passage that I want us to uh, spend our time praying through, and this will be our passage for the entire week, Jeremiah 32, 27. It's an amazing verse. And if you are here, if you'll get your QR code in front of you and click on uh, with your camera uh, to the QR code, you'll be able to write down prayer requests that you have. Uh, those online, it's fairly simple to be able to put in prayer requests. Listen, who wouldn't want this? I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world, the one who created it all, the one who has the strength, has the wisdom, the one who is the end all and all of all. I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? What an amazing passage for us to say. Put in your prayer request, the things that you are concerning to you, the things that you worry about, the things that are keeping you up at night, uh, the issues and concerns of the world. Then put those on a prayer request. We would love to have that prayer. And speaking of prayer, uh, we've been having a Friday night prayer meeting. We will not meet this Friday night. But we're combining the National Day of Prayer, which is May 6th, and we're going to put it to May 7th, a Friday night, two weeks. And here's what we want to do. Every, every, every Friday night, we've been having a different uh, topic that we've been praying through. This one is on what the Bible says about healing prayer. And we want to invite you two weeks, and I'll keep you reminded about this, but it'll be a Friday evening at 7 o'clock. And you, we want to start collecting now prayer requests of people that you want us to pray specifically for, for emotional healing, financial healing, uh, physical healing, spiritual healing, just the whole broad spectrum of that. And you're invited to be a part of that because we will pray through all the prayer requests uh, as a group. And so whether you're on uh, the Zoom link or not, uh, we, you can turn prayer requests in. We want to be a church that believes in Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? We need to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And we want, uh, want to make sure that our hope uh, lands there. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word says, I am the Lord, the God of all the creation. I am the one who created it all. And nothing is too hard for you. And so, Father, I pray for healing already for those uh, that have gathered to worship today. Father, I pray that you would bring, bring about healing, that you would transform uh, the lives of us, that our hope would be in you and in nothing or no one else other than you and you alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Get it? Good. Uh, while Let me speak to those online for just a moment. Uh, we are going to close our service with communion, and so if you've not already uh, located uh, some bread or crackers and some juice, you may want to go ahead and do that. Uh, the service is all lending itself towards the culmination of communion this morning, and then uh, hopefully everyone here in-house uh, received the, the communion element. So we are talking about bridging the gap. I've shared this with you, and this is part of uh, Jenny Allen, who will be at the IF conference. Jesus didn't empty himself just on the cross. His whole life bridged the gap showing us how to live. So often we go to Jesus and we make him Savior of our souls, but we don't look to him as the model for how to live. And we've talked about this, that this one side of the bridge represents living life on your own. Uh, if it's to be, it's up to me, Th saying, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to try to make life work apart from God. I came across this that we can add to what we've been talking about. 
it goes this way. When we try to satisfy what is eternal with what is temporary, we will only pacify the issue. In other words, you'll never get enough of what you don't need, right? And so on this side of the bridge, it's where you try to gain points. It's all about transaction. It's about what you can do to, to do self-improvement, sin management. It's all about trying to make life work apart from God, and I'll do what I want, when I want, however much I want, and I'll just make it work. I'll grin and bear it. What Jesus has called us to do is not to live for the temporary because temporary only pacifies and it's not long-lived. What Jesus has called us to do is to cross this bridge of Jesus, so to speak, that we cross the bridge and we make our, put our hope in Jesus Christ alone, that he would be the one in whom we put our hope and trust. He invites us not just for fire insurance. We'll talk about that in just a moment. When a person invites Jesus Christ to come to your life, you are guaranteed that the minute you take your last breath or if Jesus returns first, you will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And I thank Jesus for that. We will celebrate communion in that manner. But that's not all that Jesus has called us to is just to have a safety factor that when we die, we get to go to heaven. Jesus has called us to bridge the gap for other people, that our story would be called into a much greater story than just our own limited story. In fact, I heard it put this way. The purpose of God's call is not to make our little kingdom of one better. The purpose of life is not to make our little kingdom of one just better, but instead the purpose of God's call is to free us for something much larger than our little kingdom. So I came up, this was shared with me uh, this, this week, and I will get the author from uh, Lalani Drake, but this is one of her posts. And, and we've talked about that God has placed us, that we know before the foundation of the earth, he called us and placed us exactly where, we, where, we, where he has us right now. If you would have been more effective to live your story for God's kingdom, if you were more effective 20 years ago, he would have placed you at that point or 50 years or 100 years or maybe 20 years from now, he would place you there that where God has you is the most important, most powerful place where God has you. And he's placed the neighbors around you. He's placed work associates. He's placed other students around you for you to be able to influence and impact. And I believe that, and I'm excited about it as I walk our neighborhood praying, saying, God, help me to have an influence on the lives of the people where you have placed people around me. But one thing I have fallen into is, uh, is thinking, oh, my goodness, what about my kids? What about my grandkids? The world is changing. The world is not like it used to be. And I find myself, I hate to say this, freaking out. And, again, I'm thinking, what? I've got to align my emotion with my beliefs. So, anyway, long story. Lalani posts this and says, don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids because the world they're going to grow up in is not what it used to be. God created them. He called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life isn't a coincidence. It's not an accident. Train them in the authority of God's word. Teach them to walk in faith. Empower them to know that they can change the world. 
Every person in all of history has been placed in the time that they were in because of God's sovereign plan. There's more to it. I'll post it later. I'll give Lalani time for, I think she's probably online. So Lalani, I'm going to talk to you. Find out who the author was. That was amazing, and I'll pass that on as well. God has called us, and he's called our kids. And so instead of us freaking out about our kids or our grandkids, we need to realize that God has placed us exactly where he wants us to bridge that gap that we can live our lives for something much larger than just our little kingdom of one to become better. Life is so much bigger, so much bigger and better than that. This is our mission in every situation, every location, every relationship of life. And I don't want to hide your plane over that. This is our mission in every situation you and I are in, every location where we go, every relationship of life to represent Christ's heart wherever we go. So yesterday I walk out and interrupt a conversation that Karen is having with one of our neighbors. And, uh, and I, to make a long story not so long, uh, she was talking about how things were going in some of the, some of the areas that we've been struggling in over the last uh, month and month and a half. And I walk up and Karen is, is commenting and saying, well, the way we're making it is by our faith. And again, I just thought, here is, and, and, the, and Karen didn't ask this lady to get on her knees and start praying. Karen didn't have me bring out my 50-pound Bible. All, all she did was just carrying on conversation, and the person just asked, how are you handling what's been going on in your life? And she said, it's just been by our faith. Our faith is carrying us. Again, in other words, every location, just walking out into your, into your driveway, who knows who, the, the God-ordained appointment that he has planned for us to have impact, that we would live our lives in every situation, every location, every relationship of life to represent Christ's heart. What is Christ's heart? This has been our focal verse, verse says, through the entire uh, passage uh, series Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said come to me all who are weary worn out exhausted overloaded overcommitted under resourced so he's speaking to all of us he says come to me if you are just flat tired and I will give you rest we talked about rest rest is not perpetual inactivity but it's to be filled with peace and perspective in order to live a life of purpose regardless of the season because this side of the bridge only pacifies but is not sustainable because everything on this side of the bridge everything that's horizontal on this side of the bridge it was never created to withstand all the issues of life but when we cross that bridge when we invite Jesus Christ to come into our life he's the creator of all nothing is too hard for God and then we have the opportunity not only to, for us to embrace it and, and allow God to strengthen us and, and redeem whatever he's allowed to happen, but he gives us the opportunity to bridge the gap for others and point people to Jesus, to be filled with peace and perspective. Who doesn't want this? To be filled and overpowered with peace and perspective in order to live a life of purpose regardless of the season. How do we do that? He says, just carry my yoke. It means to live under the influence of the presence of God in your ordinary day-in, day-out life. Here's where we ended last week. A relationship with Jesus is the best way to live life on this side of eternity. 
Our relationship with Jesus is the best way to live life on this side of eternity. If there were a better way to live, Jesus would say, go for it. But he's the best way to live life. And we closed the last week with Colossians 3.23. So work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. The bigger calling in life God invites you to is found right in the midst of whatever. That the, how we impact people's lives, how we point people to Jesus is not the great big moment. Those moments might happen, but it's more so in the mundane parts of life where God puts us into contact with people around us. And it's those, inter, those, those small interactions that we have. It's where we come alongside and encourage one another. It's where you drop a note to somebody, where you actually say thank you. It's where you come alongside and help those and say, I can't make a difference in your life uh, maybe in this way, but I want you to know I'm in your corner. We have the opportunity to do verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, which is very mundane, very doable, and every day we do this. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Can you imagine what would happen if that principle of the whatever, the whatever principle, if it took hold of your life? Imagine it would change everything in our lives, wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we give, whatever we say. In fact, right now, in uh, New Cuff Kids, we have people investing in young students right now, young kids, and telling them that they have been created by God, and God is going to make a difference in their life, and God called them to make, uh, to, to make a commitment to him and to invest in others. That is, for some of you, that may seem mundane to you every weekend, every, every Sunday, every uh, Sunday downstairs, but this is huge. Again, it's in the mundane things of, meeting, of actually having prayer with five-year-olds, if you can keep them still for long enough. Having prayer with them, doing prayer walks with them, letting them know that Jesus loves them and cares about them. This is what the whatever principle is about. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, it's not what a person does that determines their work, whether their work is sacred or secular. It's why they do it. That's the whatever principle, that whatever we do, wherever God has us in the mundane, that we would serve, beginning at home. So why is Jesus offering all of this? There are certain biblical beliefs that are essential to what we believe about this. There are more than four core beliefs, but I want to talk about four core beliefs that our church must embrace with conviction that are non-negotiable about why he's called us to bridge the gap. Why do we talk about this so much, about bridging the gap? Why do we talk about being the voice and the hands and the feet of Jesus in the whatever? And here are four statements that i like to propose to you. Number one, God's love is revealed to us through Jesus' sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross. This is a non-negotiable that God's love is revealed to us through Jesus' sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross. Galatians 4, 4-5. When the perfect time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, redeem, so that we might receive adoption. Redeem and adoption. Redeem and adoption. 
That's why Jesus came is to redeem us, to take that which is lost value and bring value. That's why we talk about God can redeem whatever he allows when you allow him to be the leader of your life. So redemption, he wants to redeem that which has lost its value, that which has lost its value due to sin. He can redeem it, and then he moves us from orphan to family, a forever family. That is huge. That is huge. Romans 5, 8, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time, and he died for us sinners, but God showed his love for us, by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. Notice, while we were still sinners. This is incredible. It's not about working our way into right standing with God, trying to prove that we're worthy of God. Are you kidding? No. While we're in the midst of dismissing him, Jesus died for us. And since we've been made right with God's sight, notice, by the blood of Christ, we take receive communion in a moment, recognizing that we are right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus. He will certainly save us from condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of Jesus, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. The horizontal side of trying to make things right with God is a dead end. What we need is a vertical relationship that we give our, our life to Jesus Christ. Number two statement. People are eternally lost without saving faith in Jesus. We're eternally lost. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the outcome of sin, the, for the result. For when all of us sin, and when we sin, it separates us from God. However, the free gift of God, notice this, is eternal life. Not just to make things better. He gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when we're on this side and we cross that bridge, he calls us to live our lives. And eternity has already started for us. And we're guaranteed ongoing eternal life because we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone. People are eternally lost without saving faith. Number three, salvation is found in Jesus and by his name alone. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, people, by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And we say this over and over again at New Cove, and so do other Bible-believing churches say, what does God's word say? And we align our lives to God's word. God's word says there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which you must be saved. On their way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's possible that they pass by the temple. And the temple would pop, most likely, they've seen, we've seen images of the vine, which is the national symbol of of Israel, so it's very real that as Jesus was leaving the uh, leaving the upper room and headed to the Garden of Gethsemane before he was uh, crucified, that they passed by the temple and they just happened to notice the national symbol of Israel, a vine. And in John fifteen one, Jesus says this: "I am the true vine." 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus, notice this passage, what Jesus is claiming, he's claiming to be essential. He's claiming to be irreplaceable. He's claiming to be life-giving. In other words, he's not an add-on. It's Christ and Christ alone that we have salvation. So that leaves us with two choices. One, we can decide that there are numerous ways to heaven, numerous ways to life, and defending the uniqueness of Jesus and the necessity of his salvation in him is narrow and intolerant. In other words, Jesus was wrong when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That the Bible is not speaking truth when it says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We can say that is narrow and intolerant. Jesus was wrong and there is no absolute truth. That's an option. The other option is we can decide that there's only one true source of life and defending the uniqueness of Jesus and the necessity of salvation in Jesus alone is a gracious gift to a dying world that needs Jesus. That we get to bridge that gap and what we have is a gift to offer those people who do not know Jesus. That we bridge that gap in the whatever of our life. That we recognize people around us. God's placed you exactly where he wants you. He's placed your, your kids, your grandkids exactly where he wants them so that Jesus can live through them and impact and hopefully have an opportunity to lead others to Jesus. We can decide that Jesus and the uniqueness of Jesus and the necessity of salvation of him is a gracious gift. In other words, Jesus was right and Jesus is the hope of the world. There is no third option. Either Jesus is who he says he is or he's not. Now, we have to come to one last statement that is important for us to embrace, and it is this. Number four, heaven and hell are real places, and all people will spend eternity in one or the other. The souls who, in fact, they're haunting descriptions of what hell is like. It talks about souls who go there to exist in suspended isolation and darkness. In Matthew 8, 12, it says, But many will be thrown into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus describes hell as a place where the fire never goes out where the worms that eat them do not die. That's Gehenna, the, the garbage dump. He's using that to try to help them realize uh, what hell is like. We know that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels because the devil decided he wanted to be in charge. But the fact that some think that eternal punishment is harsh and makes God less than fair demonstrates how far we've strayed from the biblical understanding of how destructive evil is and how gloriously holy 
God is. One of my favorite statements in the Bible is, but God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God died for us in the midst of all of our sin. And that that he's pursuing us. He's not sending anyone to hell. He's pursuing. He's pursuing. While we were yet sinners, he, he invited us to cross that bridge. He invited us not just to cross the bridge and invite Christ to come to our but he's invited us to represent Jesus Christ to those around us in the whatever. He's pursuing us. In fact, the Bible says he delays his coming so that no person could, uh, will, will miss out on an opportunity. He has bridged the gap and he's asking us to. Ultimately, I love what J.I. Packer says. Ultimately, you don't want a God who doesn't embrace justice. But the holiness is not about us. The holiness is about God. We just know hell is a place where God is not. God's presence is removed. It's the opposite of heaven. What is heaven? Revelation 21. You want to know what hell is not? Revelation 21 says... That, that there is no more sorrow, no more pain, no more loss. In fact, it says that God dries the tears from everybody's eyes, that God himself is among them, and all the old becomes new, that God is with us and he's for us and he is, is going to be there for eternity. That is what, we, what it has to say about heaven in Revelation 21. If our church grows soft on the core, these four core teachings embraced by Christians for more than 2,000 years, if we grow soft, it's inevitable that we will soften our conviction about those who need Jesus. And at New Cub, we cannot do that. We must live our lives in such a way and our whatever that they see Jesus in us and people have opportunity to know Jesus. That's why when we built this building and the first dig that we had, we brought our shovels that Sunday. We had everybody turn outward and take the first dig looking out because we want to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Reaching the next generation has got to be a priority for us. Reaching the people around us, we must bridge the gap. So let me leave with two statements. Jesus is not only the best way to live life on this side of eternity, it is. That's what Jesus said. All those who are weary, worn out, heavy laden, I'll give you rest, carry my yoke. Jesus is the best way to live life on this side of eternity. And secondly, Jesus is the only way to live life on the other side of eternity. So let's do a personal assessment, all right? I think it's time to do that. So there are four statements that I've talked about, and I'd like for you to take a screenshot of these because I've got some questions to ask with you as you do a personal assessment. As we look at God's love is revealed to us through Jesus' sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross, as we talked about people are eternally lost without saving faith in Jesus, as we talk about salvation is found in Jesus and by his name alone. And our fourth statement, heaven and hell are real places and all people will spend eternity in one or the other. There are four questions I'd like for you to work with this, this week and then we'll pick up here next week. Which one or which ones do you need to come to grips with, if any? Second 
Second thing to process, what does your lifestyle reflect about your beliefs? What does your current lifestyle reflect about your beliefs of these four statements? Number three, what adjustments need to be made in your life according to these four statements? And last, what is God saying to you after hearing about these four statements? I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm so glad to be a part of a church that says we want to be involved in Lancaster County and in our state and in our world, that we take the name of Jesus across the nations, to the nations. I'm glad to be a part of a church that says people matter and Jesus loves them. I'm glad to be a part of a church that says we want to be a church that bridges the gap for wherever and whatever he has for us. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in, the, that in this very moment that you would bring to mind how much you love us, how much you care for us, and may we not just only embrace it, may we share it in the mundane, in the whatever. May people see Jesus in us. Father, thank you that you love us and care for us. Thank you that you pursued us, that you make a way for us. May we not grow weary in taking the name of Jesus to others. Thank you for putting us in this very spot at this very season for such a time as this to share Jesus with those where you have placed us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to take uh, your communion and uh, be ready to receive communion. There's a song that we want to sing together that uh, will set the tone, if not already, uh, for us receiving communion. Those of you that have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, we invite you to be part of our communion. Uh, if, if, if you've not made a commitment to Jesus, but you're ready to do that as you take communion, just receive Jesus. Tell him you want to give your life to him and ask him begin to transform your life.